If you want to open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, the first chapter, uh, this morning we begin a sermon series, the first of the new season, uh, and it is from the book of Galatians, and is, it is entitled, The Liberating Love of God, uh, God's Liberating Love. There's something freeing about knowing that God loves us so deeply and so purely, and we're not saved by our works. Uh, I want to encourage you, I'm just going to take a moment parenthetically before I uh, lead, lead us in prayer and read the scripture, uh, that this series of sermons, God's Liberating Love, uh, I really believe it's crucial. It's crucial to our understanding of the gospel and who we are as a church. It's a perfect opportunity during these few Sundays to invite somebody who's a non-believer uh, to come to church and hear the gospel. Uh, it's an easy way for you to witness and start a conversation with someone. Uh, you might want to share uh, an audio of the sermon uh, and start a conversation with, a, with an unbeliever. Uh, we all have friends who mean well, they're good intentioned, but they're really messed up in their thinking about God and about Jesus and about sin and about how to get to heaven. And uh, we can be of help by gently loving them where they are and guiding them. Uh, there are lots of people out there who think they're okay uh, because they went to Bible school when they were five years old and that was it, uh, or because they do uh, great things in the community and yet on the inside they're hollow. Uh, and so there are just lots of questions out there. The book of Galatians deals with issues like self-esteem, our, our low self-worth, our, our attempts at pleasing others all the time. Uh, it deals with a lot of things. It deals with uh, what happens when we have a really nasty, unpleasant church experience or we have some kind of unpleasant experience with other Christians. And so there's just a whole lot of great themes. And I want to encourage you to be faithful in attendance and to use this as a tool where we can share Christ with our community and really let people know about God's liberating love, okay? In just a moment, I want to read from Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, as we think together about how desperately stuck-up, smug, self-righteous, Religious people need grace and need the gospel. And uh, so we're going to talk about that. Let's pray together before I read scripture. We invite you, holy God, by your power and by your love to pull our lives together, the, the various pieces of our lives that are sort of unconnected. And may we find in Jesus Christ our peace and our our magnet, that which pulls life together with all of its disparate parts. We also pray that you might leverage us out of whatever slavery we are in, whatever addictive pattern or thought pattern that, are, that might be destructive. We pray that we might experience God's liberating love. Open our hearts to your rescuing work and deliver us from our selfish, prideful, works, salvation, ideas as if we're in control. We pray today as Hannah prayed for our schools, for our students, for our leaders. We pray for those returning back to college or leaving for college the first time. We pray for our nation. On the anniversary of Charlottesville, we pray that there might be peace with justice and that there might be a spirit of love for all peoples, no matter race or ethnicity or or creed, and we pray that you would guide our nation in ways of peace and justice. And we pray for our world mission, 
for our partners everywhere over the earth, wherever the name of Jesus is proclaimed. We pause to thank you for those who defend our freedoms, for those serving in the armed forces, protect them and guide them. We pray for those in our congregation who are ill and those who are grieving, that they might know your special touch. And loving God, today guide us into truth, that our minds and our hearts might be expanded as we experience this amazing letter that Paul wrote. Lord, open our hearts now. May you be pleased with what we experience as you guide us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And now Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through the end of the chapter, verse 24. If you're able, would you stand please? And I'll read this scripture aloud. The Apostle Paul writes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we have proclaimed to you, let that one be accursed." As we have said before, so I now repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But... When God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me so that I might proclaim Him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me. But I went away at once into Arabia, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and stay with him 15 days. But I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, The one who formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I really want us to get how important this book of the Bible is. It's a letter from Paul, but more exactly and more accurately, it's an epistle. Epistle is a public letter a letter that is intended to be shared publicly. The epistle of Galatians is so important, and this sermon series is important, the liberating love of God, because there's all kinds of slavery out there. This was 
Martin Luther, the great reformer's favorite epistle. He said, this is my epistle because God used it to wake him up 500 years ago to understand that he was not saved by works. Uh, why, why, do we, why do we see it as so important? Why is this epistle called the Magna Carta of the early church? Why is it called the Christian Manifesto of Liberty? Well, there are lots of answers that we'll explore these few weeks. But one answer is that there are two kinds of slavery that we often fall into, that we're often captivated by, and they're, they're polarities, they're opposites. One kind of slavery is anything goes. No, uh, no restraint, no rules, no regulations, uh, just freewheeling. If, you feel, if it feels good, do it. But that's a slavery to ego, to slavery to, to uh, selfishness, to selfish desires and whims but it's a slavery that we fall into. The other kind of slavery is the exact opposite, and that's the one that will kind of have our attention this morning, and it's a slavery that has excessive rules, excessive regulations, excessive restraints, a whole long list of thou shalt nots, a checklist kind of religion. And that's what Martin Luther was struggling with before he encountered Galatians and the book of Romans to a degree as well. He kept thinking, if I could punish myself enough to pay for my sins, if I could make myself miserable enough, but he could never feel like he'd paid enough for his sins. And then he discovered Galatians, a letter Paul wrote to a group of rule-keeping people who taught that you can work your way to heaven, that you can earn God's love. And so, Luther discovered this letter. Paul wrote this letter because something was wrong in Galatia. And by the way, Galatia is not a city. It was a region. It was a district. It was right in the middle of Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. Right in the heart of that region is the region known as Galatia. And Paul had preached there. You can read about it in Acts 13 and 14. He had established churches. He'd suffered greatly. He had preached grace. You don't save yourself. It's what God does for you in Christ. And now after a a lapse of some time, Paul hears that experts have crept into the churches of Galatia and said, well, you know, it's really nice that Jesus died on the cross. And Jesus' death on the cross really does save us, but you also have to follow these rules to get to heaven, to know God's forgiveness. It's the cross plus this list of things you have to don't do and and intend to do. And Paul said, no, it's Christ, the cross plus nothing. We're saved by grace, not by our works. And so Paul wrote this letter, and uh, he's a little bit grumpy. He starts the letter and he skips the the blessing. He skips the polite, flowery salutation. He just dives in. He says, I'm astonished. I'm irritated. I'm I'm confused. I'm, I'm angry that you would so soon throw away the gospel of free grace and begin to assume that you could start working for your salvation. And what he does in this opening section is fascinating. First of all, in verse 13, he says, I want to remind you that I used to be just like you. 
smug, self-righteous, and stuck up. He says in verse 13, You've heard no doubt in my earlier life in Judaism, I was violently persecuting the church of God, and I was actually trying to destroy it. Paul says, I was so sure I was right, I was so self-righteous, that I believed it was my job to punish people who didn't believe the way I did. That it was my job to tell people how to believe. That it was my job to, to actually physically harm people. And in one instance, at least we know of, he held the coats of those who threw rocks and killed the first Christian martyr, Stephen. Does anybody this morning catch the irony of someone in the name of the loving God killing other people? The irony of destroying other lives and terror. Saul of Tarsus, before he was Paul, was a terrorist. Terrorizing other lives in the name of the loving God. I want to show you a quote by Tony Jones in a book he's written on the cross of Christ. Christians are known not for our love, but for our fear. Fear of gaze, fear of change, fear of the end times, fear of science, fear of the other. How did we get here? How did the act of following Jesus go from something that was a response to God's love in the first century to a fear-based avoidance of hell decision in the 21st? Wow. He's talking about smug, self-righteous religious people who think it's their job to be afraid of everybody else and to judge everybody else. Paul says, I used to be like you. He says, I also used to be like you in my sense of competition. Verse 14, he says, I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of the, of the elders than other people. Paul, it's not a competition. But before he met Christ, it was competition. Before he met Christ, it was like, I've got to do more for God, and I've got to do more for God than anybody else does. You know the problem with rule-based religion? A work salvation, trying to build your own system and, and earn God's love. You know the problem with that? The problem is every time you look over the shoulder, or your shoulder, somebody's gaining on you. Somebody's loving God more than you are. They're doing more works. And a religion based on good works is a competitive system where I'm competing for God's attention and love. I'm competing to be better than other people. And it leads to a hypercritical spirit. And the reason we criticize others is so we'll feel better about ourselves. And the only way a self-righteous person can feel better about himself or herself, is to feel really bad about somebody else. Competition. Competition. That's what Paul was into. Once upon a time, uh, there were uh, twin brothers who lived in a small town who just terrorized the entire town. They, were, they, they drank and caroused. They, they stole things. They frightened people. They committed vandalism. They were cruel and rude as they met people on the street. They were just awful, these twins. And then one day, one of the twins died. 
the surviving twin went to the local Baptist preacher. And he said, I'll I'll give you $1,000 if you'll do his funeral and if you'll say about my twin brother he was a saint. The Baptist preacher thought about it a little bit. He said, okay, you're on. So at the funeral, the Baptist preacher stood up and said, you know, we're really sorry Billy died. Uh, We mourn his passing. Billy was a cheat, a liar, a carouser, a no good, but compared to his brother who survives, he was a saint. (laughs) You see what happens when we start competing and comparing? The only way we can feel good in a works religion is when we feel like we're doing better than somebody else. Paul says, I... I used to be just like you. The word gospel is used 17 times in this six-chapter epistle. Either as a noun or a verb, and the gospel means good news. What is the good news? The good news is that God in Jesus Christ has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has translated us to the kingdom of His Son that He's forgiven our sins, brought us into an eternal relationship, and it's all by His choice, not by our good doings. And it is through our repentance of that pride and that, that faith commitment that this reality becomes a part of our lives and we step into that, that new world. But how does the gospel work? If you look carefully at this scripture that we're looking at this morning we see three quick, simple ideas on how the gospel works. First of all, Paul says the gospel comes from God to us, not the other way around, not from us to God. In verses 15 and 16, he says, God revealed Jesus Christ to me. Verse 12 and verse 16 the revelation of Jesus Christ. God reveals His Son to me. You know the difference between a revelation and a discovery? A discovery is something I do with my own wit and my own wisdom and my own cunning and my own intelligence. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not your discovery. We didn't discover it. It was given to us. It was revealed. That which is given to us and we open by faith and receive it. The great Swiss theologian Karl Barth said that religion is humans reaching up to God, but Christianity is God reaching down to humans. Our reach for Him is too short, but God's reach for us is sure and strong and saving. It's interesting that when Paul's talking about all the things he did as a as Saul of Tarsus persecuting Christians, he uses active verbs. But when he starts talking about getting saved, he starts using passive verbs. It's what happens to him, not what he does. It's what happens to him. And you know, a work salvation, earning your way to God, is an insult to God. Later in the Galatians epistle, Paul will say, 
Why did Christ die on the cross? If you can save yourself, would have saved Jesus a lot of misery, God a lot of heartache. But not only that, if we can help save ourselves, the good news just became bad news. The bad news being, we will never feel like we've done enough. It will never be sufficient. The second note about how the gospel works is that the gospel is relationship-based, not rule-based. Brennan Manning uses the analogy. He says, we have taken the great, big, loving, liberating God and we've reduced him to a bookkeeper who sits in the corner with a ledger book. And every time we do something good, he goes, oh, that's in the plus column. But every time we do or think something bad, he gets his red pen out and, oh, that's in the debit column. That's not God. That's not the God of Jesus Christ. That's not the God of the gospel. Saving faith is not believing about Jesus Christ. We believe things about Abraham Lincoln and about famous people we know. It's not believing about Jesus Christ, it's believing in Him. It's relationship-based, not rule-based. And if your faith is nothing more than a pendant you wear around your neck, then you're enslaved to superstition. If your faith is nothing more than a mental creed of things you won't do and things you believe then you are enslaved to an intellectual substitute for saving faith. Third, the gospel really, really changes people, changes us. At the close of this section, Paul says, you know, when I started stirring around as a follower of Christ, at first they worried about me because they didn't trust me, but he said, then they started glorifying God saying, the terrorist has changed to an absolute fanatic for Jesus. He's completely changed and they glorified God because of me, Paul says. There is nothing like a changed life to testify to Jesus. The unbelieving world can doubt the Bible and say it's not historically reliable. The unbelieving world can have philosophical arguments about faith or doubt with scientific facts. But the unbelieving world cannot argue with a changed life. You can't argue with results. And Jesus Christ changes lives. And Paul said, when they saw my changed life, they said, wow, God is really doing something with this gospel. At the end of this epistle, Paul stops dictating to a scribe. He says, see, I'm taking the pen myself, and I want you to see what large letters I'm writing with. Uh, If that was email, it would be all caps. Larger font. Highlight, underline, you know, all this stuff. See what large letters I'm writing with. And then he says, circumcision, uncircumcision, religious ceremony, Good work, sacrificing, yada, yada, yada. He says the only thing that matters 
is a new creation. The only thing that matters is a changed life. And only Jesus Christ can do that. The power of the gospel to liberate us out of our worst selves. To do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Let's pray together. Open our hearts, mighty God, to your saving grace, to the fresh and new work you want to do in each of us. With our heads bowed for just a moment, we want to extend the invitation that is the gospel for you to step out of a world of self-salvation and a works kind of mentality, trying to build your own system to somehow impress God, self-improvement, good resolutions. Would you be willing to repent of your pride, to acknowledge you're a sinner, and to say, I need to receive what Jesus Christ has already done for me, the forgiveness, the leveraging out of that old life to set me free. I'm ready to receive Christ. I'll be here at the front during our response time. If you're ready to make that commitment, or if you've recently made that commitment, want to visit about it, we're here. Believers may have some things they want to pray about right where you stand or to come to the altar to pray. A church membership decision, someone may want to come and join our church. May God bless you as you take those steps. Amen. Amen.